So many of you might know that before I was a senior pastor here at Bel Air Church, I was a pastor to high school students for many years. And I have this distinct memory of a moment in which a student set up a meeting with me and her parents, and she came uh, into my office with her parents, and she said to me, she says, you know, I really want to get your advice on something. You know, I'm, I'm applying for colleges, and the trajectory of my grades enables me to really have amazing choices ahead of me. Uh, I've, I've, I've put all of my extra time into volleyball, and I think that I might get some scholarships, but I might get scholarships to the schools that maybe don't have as much academic distinction in our nation. Uh, and I've also become, you know, really advanced in my playing of the violin. And I'm wondering if I should go that route, a very different route than the the sport route, very different route than the academic route. And I, I'm just trying to figure out what to do. And by the way, where do I fit God into my life? And then she said, you know, I, I've got so much on my plate. It's really overflowing. I mean, it's, it's overflowing with all the schoolwork, uh, all, all the sports, all the music, I'm trying to fit my friends in, my family in. I don't have enough room on my plate for God. And I remember saying to her, I think you need a new plate. And she's like, what, what are you talking about? What do you mean a new plate? I don't, there's a bigger plate, like more time in the day? I, I don't understand. And I said, no, no, what if, what if God was your plate? Rather than time being the thing of which all things try to fit onto, what if your relationship with God was the, the foundation, the support, the very thing that touches all things. And her look of confusion transitioned into a look of possibility. And the conversation went on. That meeting ended. And it was absolutely remarkable to watch her life trajectory from that moment on because she made that decision in my office on that day over a decade and a half ago to bring God into the very foundation, the very center, the very support of all of our life. And as she brought her life into her study, as she brought her life into her sports, as she brought her life into her music, all of life came out of the overflow of her relationship with God. All of her life was an act of worship. Today is an invitation for you to reframe your entire life. In this season, we're moving through a sermon series called The Work as a Church. Our work, the work that every single one of us is called to. We started back in the beginning of May and we've walked week by week to the six different things that God has called us to. In that very first week, Pastor Mike Morgan kicked us off, inviting all of us to be a people that are about proclaiming the gospel that saves. In that second week, Pastor Kim Dortilly equipped us with the knowledge and the skills on how to be about furthering the flourishing of society. In that third week, I introduced us to the idea of preserving the truth that frees. Last week, uh, Rebecca Bruchet Morgan, our director of life groups, invited us into this vision of cultivating the community of God. And today in our fifth week, Last two weeks of the sermon series, it's an invitation, not just for me, not just for our worship leaders, an invitation for all of us to maintain a life of worship. 
Now, immediately, you might run into a problem mentally because perhaps you resonate with that high school student many years ago. Maybe you right now have done what she did and what I used to do. I used to divide my time up into different segments. You know, work time and play time and family time and and me time. And maybe with a little bit left over, some worship time. Perhaps this is your worship time for the week. Maybe it's been a month. Maybe it's been many years. This is an invitation for you to pray the prayer that King David prayed in Psalm 86, 11. God, give me an undivided heart. There is a reality that we experience as human beings is that we are pulled you know, to so many different things and in so many different ways. Our life is divided up. We're constantly trying to figure out how do I get all these things done? Perhaps in the last year, your, your normal rhythms and schedules have been disrupted in such a way that trying to keep things straight with your own life, with your friends, with your family, with your kids, with your parents at work has been completely upended. As we live into this life, the more and more we see our life as divided up into separate segments, we become fragmented in who we are. That section of scripture in Psalm 86, 11, in its bigger context is this, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. You and I have been created for worship. We all worship things. Whatever is worth our time, whatever is worth our energy, whatever is worth our finances, those are the things that we worship. And as Augustine said many centuries ago, my heart is restless until it finds its rest in you, O Lord. You've heard me say before that the word remember is used so frequently in scripture. It outnumbers the word believe five times to one. It outnumbers the word trust two to one. In fact, there's this pattern throughout all of Scripture, all 66 books of the Bible, that when people made in the image of God remember who God is, the life that God calls them to, that all of life is an opportunity to worship God. And we're going to learn exactly what that means in very practical ways today, that life is one filled with joy and peace and insecurity. But when we forget, when we think other things are worth it more than God, we begin to worship God those things. We begin to, to pattern our life on those things. We begin to become conformed to those things. And as a result, our hearts, as Augustine said many centuries ago, they become restless. That's when God shows up, reminds us of who God is and the life that God invites us into. And we are absolutely transformed. You know, many people refer to this moment as a, a worship service, Right? I mean, that's like common language. We're gathered together in this worship service. And I want to reframe that language for you to remind you that a worship service, first and foremost, is not about you serving God. But in actual fact, a worship service is first and foremost about God serving you. What do I mean by that? Well, in the book of Acts, listen to this. This is Acts 17. The Apostle Paul says this. 
The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines built by human hands, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. God doesn't need our service to be whole. He's already whole. He doesn't need our worship to feel good about God's self. God is perfect in holiness and beauty and power and splendor. In fact, as it says in the Gospels about Jesus, the very Son of God, God in the flesh, this is Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As people who are invited to live lives of worship, as we get into this sermon, which in the beginning will be much more philosophical, more of a preamble as we get into the practical, what does it look like to live a life of worship? As in a moment we get to Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, it's a reminder that a worship service when we gather together is first and foremost about God serving us, reminding us that in all things we have nothing apart from that which God has given us. In fact, if you look at the book of Romans, there's this phenomenal setting up of chapter by chapter before Paul gets to Romans 12, where the sermon today will come from, Romans 12, verses 1 through 2. But it's important to understand that in that lead up to Romans 12, which begins with the powerful word, therefore, there's a lot that happens before it. In fact, in summary, you could say it this way, that Romans 1 reminds us that God created everything and that everything in creation displays the invisible attributes of God. Romans 2 reminds us that God alone has the ability to judge between right and wrong. Romans 3 reminds us that we've all done wrong and the whole world is held accountable to God. Romans 4 reminds us that there are some people of faith who look beyond themselves for rescue, people like Abraham. Romans 5 reminds us that God demonstrates his love to us in this, that, that while we were doing wrong, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, made us alive in Christ. Romans 6 goes on and reminds us that we are now dead to sin and alive in Christ. We're united with Christ for all of eternity through faith and trust in him. Romans 7 reminds us that even though we've been saved from the penalty of sin, sin still has power in our life. And there's, there's, this, there's this inner conflict where we do and don't do the very things that we shouldn't and should do. There's this inner war between us. And thank God that we have Jesus to rescue us from the power of sin. Romans 8 reminds us that there is no condemnation for those in Christ that you have been given the spirit of God to give you strength in your weakness as God works all things together for good in your life because he's called you for a purpose as a reminder that it is the spirit of God that dwells in you, the same spirit of God that rose Jesus from the grave. It is the truth that nothing in all of creation can separate you from God's love. Romans 9 reminds us that God's invitation is for the nation of Israel first and then all the nations of the earth to come into a relationship with God. Romans 10 gives us the clarity of that invitation. 
that if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 11 reminds us again that God's invitation is for the nation of Israel first and then all the nations of the earth. It is this reminder from chapter 1 to chapter 11 that every single thing in our life is a gift from our Creator. That the beating of our heart, the breath in our lungs, even the law of God that reminds us that we cannot fulfill God's heart for our life. A reminder that God has given us Jesus, the Son of God, not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Every single thing in our life is a gift from God. And when we gather together in worship, Paul is reminding all of us that we worship in response to all the things that God has done for us. All right, so now we get to Romans 12, verses one and two. If you have your Bibles, we'd love for you to open these up. Two verses I'm reading out of the New Revised Standard Version. And in this phenomenal moment where Paul has talked about all who God is, all that God has done, there's now a response, an invitation to see not just this hour on a Sunday, but all of your life as a life of worship. Romans 12, verse one and two. Therefore, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This, my friends, is the reading of God's word as we say every week, thanks be to God. All right, Paul says, therefore. Therefore, in response to all that God has done for us, Therefore, in response of who God is, therefore, in response to who Jesus is in our life, therefore, in response to the Spirit of God in our life now, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, back then in the first century, sacrifices were dead. They were on the altar. They didn't move. Paul is reframing all this language, the whole sacrificial system up until that moment. He reframes all of it. He says, present your bodies, the fullness of who you are, your mind, your body, your soul, your spirit, your will, your hopes, your dreams. Present that to God as a living sacrifice. What does a living sacrifice do? It gets up and it moves. It gathers together in worship. It goes out into our lives. It gets into a car. It hops onto the freeway. It goes onto the internet. It applies for a job. It sits down and eats food. It lays down to rest. This is a vision for all of your life. And what Paul calls us to do is to present our lives as a living sacrifice. And what this is, is a spiritual act of worship. And then in verse two, he gets into the practicality of how to do that. So what we're called to do is to give our, our lives in worship to God. That's spiritual worship. Well, how do we do it? Take a look. Verse two says this. 
there are two sides to the coin. The first is this. Do not be conformed to this world. The Greek word, again, the language of the New Testament for that word conformed uh, is the word syskematizo. It's where we get the word uh, syskematic. It gives the, the image of a, a pattern. And what Paul is saying is that how we can present our lives as an act of worship, first and foremost, this is huge, but it's not the whole thing, but it's huge enough to stop and pause and dive into. We must not ever be conformed to this world. In other words, we should never be patterned to the world. Now, we can look out on this world and see patterns that we can align our lives to, that we can be shaped by, that we can be conformed to. Uh, I'll give you three of maybe millions. The patterns of the self being the center of the universe. The patterns of others being objects to be enjoyed, accumulated, and leveraged for personal gain. The patterns of seeing God simply as a commodity on a cosmic shelf. This is just three, again, of millions of patterns that we can see out in the world. But the, the biggest pattern that I see in this world, not just as I look out on it, not only as I look within myself, but as I look at the biblical record, the, the greatest pattern that ever is, is to see the self as the center of the universe. And when you begin to to pattern your life on that. When you begin to see that life exists for you and everybody else is just there to serve you, even God is there to serve you, experiences are there to serve you, the accumulation of things is there for you, you begin to prize yourself above anything else. You see, and what you prize is what you praise. And as we get into this life, the Apostle Paul says, be very, be very, be very, very careful not to, to be conformed to this world because there are patterns that you might not even be aware of, like currents in the ocean that you can get into, that you can look up and realize you have been pulled very far offshore. You know, I have these memories of a kid, uh, you know, learning how to surf. I, I, I think about these days where I'd be out in like Manhattan Beach and there'd be this massive swell coming from the Aleutians right off of Alaska, these just massive long period swells. And we'd get into the, the beach at El Porto early in the morning and we would be surfing and we'd be having fun and we'd be talking to each other and, and surfing and having fun and we weren't paying attention. And all of a sudden, when it was time to go, like 90 minutes later, we'd look up and realize how far south the current had taken us down the beach. I remember this one time, literally, we went down. It was literally like two miles down the beach. And I got out, I'm thinking... Are we in Hermosa? Where is this place? And we had to get out and we had to make the long trudge all the way up the beach, running late to get back to school, all the way to El Porto. The same is true in life. We can get caught up into the, the current of this world, the patterns of this world. We can begin to prize things other than which God longs for us to prize. 
we can begin to praise those things. They become the, the center of our perspective. We think those things are worth it. We begin to worship those things. And all of a sudden we find ourselves when we wake up, where am I? Because the truth is this, what you prize in your life becomes the pattern of your life. When you prize experiences, your life becomes patterned after those things. When you prize a claim from others, your, your life becomes patterned after those things. When you prize accumulating things, your life becomes patterned after those things. When you prize being in control, then your life becomes patterned after those things. When you, when you prize always being right, your life becomes patterned after those things. When you prize comfort, your life becomes patterned after those things. After the year we just experienced, how's that going for you? I think about these conversations I've had in the last year. And as I've talked with people, prayed with people, cried with people, whose life has been so disoriented, so upended, there has been a pulling back of the layers to reveal the depth underneath of that which a person prizes. And it seems like in this year, there has been this pulling back and a revelation that so many people have prized being in control. And in this last year, many of us have felt out of control. And if we are people who prize always being in control, we've patterned our life on being in control. This year, a year that was out of control, completely upended us. To paraphrase Augustine, we've become restless. I would love for you in this moment to bring, to bring this year into this moment and to ask God, God, what have I prized above all else? And ask the Spirit of God to reveal that to you. What in my life have I become conformed to realizing that it is simply a pattern in this world? Could it be the accumulation of things? Could it be the accumulation of uh, experiences? Could it be maybe having the acclaim from other people? Whatever it might be, I want to ask you, not just to listen to me, but in this moment, to have a dialogue with God through the power of the Spirit and to say, God, what am I prizing? Another way to ask that question in your life is to ask it in the negative. Uh, what, if removed from your life, would cause you to become completely devastated? Not just downtrodden, not just discouraged, not just, ah, uh, but I mean, like literally, like, I, I, I don't know if I'd have the will to live. What if that was removed from you? Usually whatever that thing is that would cause your life to feel like it has no more purpose anymore, you'd no longer have the will to live. Whatever that thing to be taken away from you, that's the thing that you prize. Again, the psalmist says, God, give me an undivided heart. 
when we begin to realize that it is not just do not be conformed to this world, but there is a second half to what Paul is saying, the other side of the coin, we begin to realize that this isn't just about being nonconformists. You know, if Paul just said, don't be conformed to this world, and then he moved on with his letter, it would be half the story. It'd be this incomplete picture. It would wrongly give us the impression that if the world goes left, then you go right. If the world values simplicity, then you value complexity. If the, val if the world patterns are way this way, then you should just do the complete opposite. But Paul doesn't do that. The answer isn't being antithetical to society. The answer isn't just zigging when the world zags. The answer is this. The Apostle Paul puts it this way. Again, this is the New Revised Standard Version. He says, again, not just be not conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. The word for transformed in the Greek language, again, the language of the New Testament is the word metamorpho. It's where we get the word metamorphosis from. It is this picture of a thing not just being conformed to something. It gives a picture of not just being patterned after something. It gives a picture of something becoming something altogether different. This invitation of a life of worship is a life of transformation. Again, not just to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed from death to life from being an enemy of God to being part of the family of God, from being the walking dead to the worshiping alive. But how do we do that in practice? What does that look like? Paul goes on, he says, to be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. And he goes on to say this, so that you may be able to discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, some translations don't say by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God. Some say so that you may test and approve what is the will of God. There's one Greek word there, and in that Greek word, it, it's hard to translate into the English. But it's two things that by transformation through the renewing of our mind, we are able to do two things. One is that we are able to test something and as we test something, we also understand how much value it has. So I'm going to give you a practical application. As we go throughout life, as human beings, we, we make decisions, hundreds of decisions, thousands of decisions, millions of decisions over the course of our lifetime. As we make those decisions, we are discerning whether this thing is good or bad, worth our time or not, valuable to invest in or not. And as we test those things, as we put those things into categories, we try to uh, give a value to it. And so as we assign value to things, we then prize those things. And the things that we find most valuable, we prize the most. And the things that we prize the most, we praise the most. And the things that we praise the most, we pattern our lives after. And what we patterns our life after, we become. And when the world uses their own minds, apart from the Spirit of God renewing their minds... 
in a sense, we have a faulty tool for discernment. All of Scripture says that apart from God, we lack wisdom. Apart from God, we can't discern what is true and not true. We assign the wrong values to things. We lift up things that aren't worth lifting up. We prize things that aren't worth prizing. We praise things that leave us empty and superficial and hollow and restless. And when the Apostle Paul says to be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that we can test, so that we can value what? The will of God. We will begin to see that this life that God invites us into is the most valuable life of all. This life, it's not just an hour. It's not just an intellectual exercise. It's not just a set of principles. Uh, it's not just a belief system. It is an entire way of life that God invites us into that we can begin to see that. That has a value unlike any other value. That is worth being prized after like anything else. And then we begin to praise the one who creates us. And our life becomes patterned after that one in such a way that we are transformed more and more into the image of Christ. We begin to see things from God's perspective. Well, how do we do that? Well, we're going to do that right now. All right, let's get really practical right now. What I want to do is I'm going to lead us through an exercise. And this might be different than what you're used to because what we're used to is having, you know, the rest of our life, divided up in all these different times, and then we finally get to a worship service that is a specific hour of our week, in which we're in right now. And what I want to do is I want to lead you through an exercise to see that a worship service can be something that happens throughout your entire life. It can be in your private life, your public life, and your professional life. Again, this invitation is to a life of worship. And the only way we can have a life of worship is if we maintain that as a life of worship. It takes intentionality. And so we need practice in that, don't we? We can't just expect it to spontaneously happen. And as we go through this exercise, what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you to bring your life into this worship service so that you can see your life in the context of worship so that you can then go back into your life worshiping. The problem is, is that most of us, we separate life and worship. We keep those as two separate things. We never bring our life into worship and therefore we never go into life worshiping. Remember how in the very beginning I shared that story of that, that high school student who's like, I don't, I don't have room for God on my plate. And I said, it's, it's time to get a new plate. God, who can hold all things, sustain all things in your life, that all things can touch. What if a worship song wasn't just something that happened for three and a half minutes in the context of a gathered worship? But what if the lyrics of that song opened up your heart and your mind to see all of life? That's what this exercise is going to be all about. I'm going to walk us through you, not just listening to me, but you in prayer with God, reflecting on your life, 
through the lens of a worship song. You see, what I'm trying to get you to do is to stop separating worship from the rest of your life, but to bring worship into your life. And one of the greatest things that we can do to grow as worshipers is to start with some of the worship songs that we know and hold so dear to our hearts that we love. We love singing, we love listening to, but to see that is something that not just comes from our lips, but comes through our lives. So let's start first with you reflecting on your private life. Before you get up and go with those in your household, before you start interacting with them, before you, you know, go out into life, what if you saw those moments that you start every single day as a worship service? Again, I'm trying to reframe that definition of a worship service. It's so much larger than just what we're doing right now. What if you began each day acknowledging, reminding yourself that it is God alone who serves you, who sustains you, who gives you life, who gave you this new day, who gives you the, the beating of your heart, the breath in your lungs? What if, rather than being conformed to the patterns of this world, what if rather than starting the day, checking the news feed, what if rather than starting the day, checking the stock markets? What if rather than starting the day, checking your social media comments? What if you started your day prizing the one who is worthy of all praise in prayer, in the opening up of God's word, and not taking anything into your life before you first take in God's truth. Imagine what that could look like in your private life. I mean, imagine if you started your day with God. Everything after that, all the news that you go to, going to the markets to see where they're at, seeing the comments on the thread, interacting with others, everything in your private life. Imagine if all of that was through the lens of Praising God in all things. So this is the, the first of three steps in this exercise. As you listen to the words of this song, this song that perhaps you've, you've sung for many, many years, many, many decades perhaps, what if you began to see your private life through the lens of the lyric of these words? What if as you sing these songs, as you, as you, these lyrics, as you hear these lyrics, what if you saw that as the lens through which you see your private life? So this exercise, to be very specific, I want you in this time, this time of musical worship, to invite God into giving you a perspective into your private life, to reflect on the areas where you're prizing other things, where you're settling for other things, where you're being patterned after things of this world, that this would be a moment that you would be transformed by the renewing of your mind as through the power of the Spirit you test and value above all else what is God's will for your life. So let these lyrics guide you through the power of the Spirit as you reflect on your private life. We'll come right back in a few minutes as we take a look at our public life. Holy, 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 Lord God, 
All right, that was, that was a little different, wasn't it? You know, I think about trainers, physical trainers who teach someone a new movement and it feels awkward, it feels a little different. It might, it might put some strain on their body in different ways. Perhaps it was different for you to, to see your private life through the lens of those lyrics. Again, as we bring our life into our gathered worship, we can better go out into our lives, our private lives, to begin with, as worshipers. All right, let's, let's move on in this exercise as we look at our, our public life. And that looks different for, for all of us, of course. But as we move out into our lives, as we not even have to leave our homes, as we hop on social media, as we hop on video chats, as we interact with somebody on a telephone, as we interact with people you know, in our household, roommates, family members, whoever it might be, interact with our neighbors as we're out going to the grocery store, as we're just out in our life, it is an opportunity to worship. Before we go back to this same song, before I ask you to spend time in prayer with God through the power of the Spirit to reflect on your public life, let's say in the week ahead through the lyrics of the song, I want to give you a quote. This is from A.W. Tozer. He says this, We are called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. Now, I... Uh, I know what it's like to be in public and preoccupied with something else. Uh, my mind can be on this thing and I can't be present with this thing. My, my mind can be, you know, off thinking about the work that I've got to get done and, and, and I'm not even present with the, the person that's before me, uh, you know, ringing me up at the counter. Uh, it's true when we can interact with someone else. We can be so preoccupied with, with something else, our, our own things going on, that we can't even be present with the other person. So often, when we are preoccupied, we think that a preoccupation is a bad thing that prevents us from being truly present. But A.W. Tozer unlocks this deep, profound, glorious mystery that there's one that we can be preoccupied by that actually enables us to be more present in every relationship of our life. When we become people who become preoccupied with God in our private life, as we see, uh, as we eat, as we play, as we study, as we do things on our own, through the lens of a relationship with God that spills out into our public life and we can truly be present with people because we come to that relationship, we come to that job interview, we come to that moment where someone cuts you off on the freeway out of the overflow of a peace-filled, security-laden relationship with God, already filled with joy, already filled up. And it enables you to be completely present in every moment of every day, of every relationship, of every setting in the public sphere of your life. This is God's vision for you, to be a worshiper in life, in the public realm, where people might disagree with you, where people might have different perspectives than you, as you are bumping into the patterns of this world, you can do so not arrogant, not judgmental, not demeaning, not insecure, trying to get people to believe the same thing that you do, but out of love, be a worshiper in spirit and truth as you go through life in those relationships. So this is the second part of this exercise. We're gonna go right back to that song. 
And I want you to imagine your public life, where you might spend this week. And as you reflect on the week ahead, would you envision it being lived in such a way in accordance with these lyrics? And afterwards, we'll come back and conclude this exercise. Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea. Cherubim and through not just our private life and our public life, I want us to focus on our professional life. And of course, that means very different things to all of us gathered here in this moment. Some of us have nine to five jobs. Some of us are between jobs. Some of us, the work that we do is at home. Some of us, the work that we do is as a consultant. Some of it is completely, you know, over the phone or over the internet. For some of us, the work that we do uh, is after we've already retired. And it is a work of cultivating hobbies. It is on boards, volunteering. It is a work of raising up the next generation. Uh, it is where you spend your energy. It is the work of your hands and your mind. That is kind of in the broadest definition of your professional life. Remember a message over a month ago, as God calls us to be the church at work, what it means to be created in the image of God is to be someone who, who brings what it means to be made in the image of God to the work that we do, that we take the raw potential of what God has created and we make something out of it for the flourishing others and for the glory of God. And so often in our modern world, we separate our work from our worship. When God's vision is for us to have that as be one and the same. That we would worship God in our work. That we would worship God in our cleaning of our dishes, the raising of our kids, the, the cleaning of our garage, the, the reports that we're preparing to deliver, the rehearsal of our lines, that, that we would worship God in the boardroom as a barista, that we would worship God as we invest. This is the opportunity for you. In the same way we've done it in our private life, our public life, now in our public life, to hear the lyric of this song as the lens in which you see the work week ahead. And this invitation for you is to, is to bring that work before God right now in worship. And as you bring your work before God in worship, you're going to be highly likely to go worshiping into your work this week. 
You see, you'll never have intimacy with God in your work unless you, you bring your work intimately before God in worship. And so right now, it is an invitation for you, again, through the power of the Spirit, to spend time reflecting, praying, looking at the work week ahead through the lens of this worship song, inviting God to give you a perspective unlike anything else. So let's enjoy this time and we'll come back and I'll conclude. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all thy words shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. The purpose, again, of this exercise is to connect your life to worship and your worship to life, not just your private and your public, but also your, your professional life. I love this quote from James K.A. Smith. He says this, If all of life is going to be worship, then the sanctuary is the place where we learn how. That's why we gather together in worship, to learn how to prize Jesus above all things, to lift our hearts and our gaze beyond the patterns of this world, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, to, to really value God the Father, Son, the Spirit above all things and to take that into our life in all of its forms, in all of its places, in all of its relationships. Again, our heart will always be restless until it finds its rest in God alone. You were made to worship. The question is, what are you worshiping? Friends, allow God to transform you, to bring you into the newness of life. That's what you were created for. That's what your heart longs for. That's what you've been searching for and all these different things. May you be reminded today as you were sent back out into this week. Let's be worshipers in our life. Let's bring our life into worship. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you have given us a vision, a bigger vision perhaps than we had an hour ago of this life that you invite us into. It is a life where we are preoccupied with you. And as we are so preoccupied with you, it enables us to be present with the moments, the people, the tasks that you call us to. So Jesus, Woo us through your love, through the power of your spirit. May we catch a glimpse of how valuable you are. May we prize you above anything else. May we praise you in response. It's in your name, Matchless, we pray. And we say together, amen.